The Sure Shame Podcast, shining a light to the nations. Well, shalom again, everybody. I'm Bill Cloud, and welcome to Returning to Our Roots. We're talking about the mark of Cain and how the curse that God placed upon Cain, how it tells us about things that pertain to the end of days and the serpent's seed in the end of days, and also how Cain's characteristics, how his traits, how they also reveal the nature of the serpent's seed in the last days. So as we begin, we're going to go, first of all, to the book of Genesis, and we're going to read about what God said to Cain after confronting him over the murder of Abel. He says, beginning in verse 11, So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be upon the earth. So here are the particulars of the curse that God placed upon Cain. Number one, you're going to be cursed. That's obvious. You're no longer going to be able to grow anything from the ground. Of course, up until this point in time, Cain had been a farmer, a tiller of the ground. God also tells him that you're going to be a fugitive for the rest of your life, and wherever you go, you will be a wanderer. Now, having heard this, look at what Cain has to say in response to God's words. Verse 13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So here are Cain's points that this is more than I can take. You're detaching me from my connection to the ground. Of course, the ground was cursed as well. And he says, I'm going to be hidden from you. I'm going to be this fugitive. I'm going to be a wanderer. And besides all of this, anyone who finds me will try to kill me. Now, there are some interesting points here in this exchange between God and between Cain. Number one, God pronounced the curse upon Cain. And Cain's response is, well, is my crime so big and so terrible that I can't be restored to you? Well, we know the truth that is that if there was repentance or if, if there is repentance, then yes, a person can be restored. So if that's what he was asking God, why didn't God reply, yeah, it, it's possible for you to be restored? In other words, I'm leading up to something here as to why God didn't say that. Might it be because, well, it was the way Cain said it. Maybe he wasn't saying it so, you know, in remorse or in repentance. Maybe it was with an attitude. God then says, the ground is not going to produce anything for you. The ground has been cursed, but yet you've still been able to bring forth fruit from the ground, but even that's going to stop. And then Cain says, well, you're driving me away. You don't want to restore me. You're driving me away. God says, you're going to be a fugitive. And Cain acknowledges this in his response. And then God says, you're going to be a wanderer. And again, Cain acknowledges this. But here's why I pointed all those things out. Nowhere in this exchange will you see that God said, that Cain would be hidden from his face, or that God said, I will hide my face from you. Cain's the one who says that. He says, I shall be hidden from your face. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can look at this. Uh, some people interpret this 
statement as, uh, you will hide your countenance from me. That He's saying that God's going to hide his face from him. And, you know, maybe that could be uh, alluded to here. But I'm of the opinion that something a bit more sinister is at work here. I'm not of the opinion, in other words, that Cain is some remorseful young man that in a a fit of passion that he lost his head and now he's all sorry about it. I believe that when these things are spoken in the text or recorded in the text, that it can hint at things. And we won't develop it here, but there is an understanding that well, in Judaism, that there are four basic levels of biblical interpretation. The first one, of course, is the Bible literally says what it means, and it means what it says. But then there's a level, it's called remes, where things can be hinted at, things can be alluded to without necessarily saying them. And then, of course, there's durash, and that's more or less homiletical teaching, searching for the answer throughout Scripture. And then there's what's called sod, or things that are hidden which is kind of interesting, because Cain says, I shall be hidden from your face. And when he says that, the term in Hebrew, when he says hidden, the word in Hebrew is Aleph Samech Talresh, Esater, Esater. It comes from the root word Samech Talresh, which means to conceal. So he's saying, I will hide. I will be hidden from your face. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit here. The word Aleph Samech Tavresh, Esater, is identical in spelling to the name Esther. Again, Aleph Samech Tavresh. And so Esther, the name, her real name was Hadassah, by the way, and so her name Esther concealed her true identity. You know, she's this... A Jewish young lady of the tribe of Benjamin, but she's living in Persia. She's in the king's palace, but she is the one that God has hidden in the king's palace so that when the king uh, makes the decree at the prompting of Haman that all of God's people should be killed, she's there in the right place. God hid her there, Esater. But in Genesis chapter 4, Cain is saying, I will be hidden. I'm going to hide. So if you consider that he's going to be a fugitive and he's afraid that somebody is going to find him and is going to kill him, then the implication is this. As a fugitive, I'm going to hide. And I am going to be in the shadows. I'm going to blend in with the environment. I'm going to wait in the shadows until that one who is pursuing me uh, comes upon me, but I'm going to leap from the shadows and I'm going to overtake him. That's what fugitives do. That's what vagabonds and wanderers do if they're running from the law, so to speak. And if they're afraid that someone will find them and kill them, then it might be that they hide in order to lay a trap for the one who's trying to find them. When Again, when the pursuer comes into view, well, then the fugitive's going to strike at his victim. That's exactly what a serpent does when it stalks its prey. It blends into the environment. It hides in the shadows. And then when the prey makes the wrong decision, makes the wrong turn, ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time, that's when the serpent strikes. And so the serpent is... uh, 
playing to his strengths when it's in the shadows, when it's blending into the environment. When the serpent is out in the open, it's more vulnerable. So what I'm suggesting to you is, number one, we understand that Cain was of that wicked one. 1 John 3 tells us that. We understand, I believe, that he's not a remorseful young man, but he's actually more or less telling God, you know, I'm not my brother's keeper. Um, is what I've done so terrible? And I'm going to be hidden from your face. So what I believe this is saying to us is that Cain was saying, I'm going to hide, and if anybody tries to overtake me, I'm going to strike. Now, here's another interesting thing about this particular word, esoter. It's written in the imperfect tense, meaning or alluding to or hinting at this possibility, that the hiding that Cain was to engage in is ongoing, that it's indefinite. We understand that the man Cain has been dead for thousands of years, but what Cain represents, that spirit, that mindset, that rebellion, etc., it's something that tries to hide itself in order to strike at its victim. And again, being written in the imperfect tense, it implies, prophetically speaking, that the hiding is continuing. Well, if the hiding is continuing, then the hunt for the fugitive is ongoing. That might suggest the reason that God placed the mark on Cain Again, wasn't just an act of mercy so that nobody will kill him, the person, but may have been God's way of saying those who were hunting, those who were searching to understand the seed of the serpent, this is what you need to be looking for. And he's going to try to hide. He's going to try to conceal himself. He's going to try to blend in with the environment. And if you're not careful, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you may end up being his victim. So pay very close attention to Cain, to what Cain displayed. And if you do that, then you'll have a better idea what to be looking for in the end of days when it comes to the seed of the serpent. So all of this summarized seems to say to me, or Cain seems to be saying to me, uh, to God, I'm sorry, that I'm going to hide from you and you're not going to find me. I'm going to blend in and you're not going to find me. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, I'm sorry. I got mad. I got angry. I was filled with rage and jealousy, and I struck out, and I killed him. He never said that. He never said, forgive me. So what does that lead me to believe? That Cain is remorseful and repentant? doesn't seem that way. doesn't seem that he's this adolescent that just in this rage of passion that he... He murdered his brother and then thought better of what he had done. To the contrary, Cain comes across as a rebel. And here's what the scripture has to say about Cain. In 1 John chapter 3, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. And then in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now when Jude says that, 
he's, he's talking about people, to summarize it, who have just rejected the truth, who are not following God's instructions, not living the way they're supposed to be living, obviously. And so those kinds of people are identified with Cain, with Bilaam, and with Korah. Of course, Korah was the one who led a rebellion against Moses and against Aaron. But Moses says that the rebellion is not, uh, not really against us, but it's against God. You don't really know what you're doing. So that's Korah, a rebel. And then we have Balaam, who was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to come and curse Israel. And because he so desired the prestige and the honor and the profit that Balak was going to bestow upon him, if he did this, he found a way or tried to find a way to get around what God had instructed him to do. And so for uh, three different times he tries to go and to curse Israel. Of course, he ends up blessing Israel. And if that had been the end of the story and he had gone home, then maybe everything would have turned out okay for him. But according to the Bible, that's not what he did. But instead, he basically told Balak, here's how we can accomplish what it is you're wishing to accomplish. We don't have the power and authority to destroy them ourselves. But if we can seduce them, if we can lure them into a snare, and we can kind of wait in the shadows here, and when they take the bait, and when they end up in the wrong place at the wrong time, we can strike. They'll end up, in other words, doing to themselves what we don't have the power to do. That's Balaam. Well, those two infamous personalities in Scripture are linked to Cain, and Cain is linked to them. So Cain is linked to those who plot and who maneuver and scheme in order to to destroy Israel, God's people. Cain is linked to someone because of jealousy, rebels against the one that God has blessed, the one that God has favored and has invested uh, a particular intention and uh, uh, objective um, purpose, that is Moses and Aaron. So this is who Cain is linked to scripturally. And to me, that doesn't sound like someone who's remorseful and repentant. It doesn't sound like someone who, when he realizes what he's done, he's like, oh God, I'm sorry. So that being said, does God mark him because he was a repentant man? If Cain is linked with the likes of Balaam and Korah, can we look upon him as being someone who's remorseful and sorry for his actions? And I think the answer to those questions is no. Now, consider that he was sentenced to be a vagabond and to be a wanderer. My understanding is a wanderer is someone who wanders. (laughs) He goes from place to place to place. He doesn't stay in one place for too long. Another word for it is a vagabond. He drifts. He moves around. He doesn't set down any roots. Another word we could use is nomad. He's moving from place to place to place. That's what God told him he was going to do. But notice what the person Cain does. According to Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, it says this, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city 
and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now again, God says you're going to be a vagabond, you're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be someone who's going to drift from place to place to place to place. You're not going to set any roots down. You're always going to be on the move. Well, if someone has been told that, and then if they are of a repentant heart and wanting to do what's necessary to be restored to God, then why would they go build a city? Because you, you see, a city is a place where, well, it's permanent. It's not, in, uh, it's not indicative of someone who is saying, you know, I want to set down, uh, I want to, I'm sorry, I want to be remorseful, I want to be repentant, and I want to do what's right, and so if this is what God has decided, then I'm, I'm going to go along with what he told me I need to do. To build a city says, no, I'm not going to do what God told me to do. I'm not going to drift from place to place to place. I am going to set some roots down. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, build a city right here. I'm not going anywhere. In essence, what it seems to say to me is that Cain was of a heart and a mindset that he's going to thumb his nose at God and say, you say I'm going to be a drifter and a, a vagabond and a wanderer? I'll show you. And so he builds a city. There's something else to consider about a city as well, is, is that it's going to attract a lot of people. People are going to come out from the country and from all the different areas surrounding the city, and they're going to begin to congregate together and they're going to build shops and this, that, and the other, and there's going to be all these things that a city, a collective, can offer other people and, and draw other people to that city. And before you know it, you've got quite a number of people living in that city, and so then it becomes possible for a fugitive, a murderer, to blend in to the environment. You remember the old television program, The Fugitive? Well, The Fugitive was not out in the country and he wasn't running around in the mountains or in the desert. No, he was hiding in plain sight. He was hiding from the law, but he was hiding from the law right in front of them. He was in a city. So is it possible then that Cain, in part, builds the city to say to God, I'm not running anywhere. I'm not going to be a fugitive. Because, again, remember, a serpent is more vulnerable out in the open than it is hiding in the cracks of a rock or under a pile of wood or in the shadows or blending into the brush. Once it gets out into the open, where everybody can see it, it's, it's vulnerable. So part of the way it protects itself is to blend in with the environment. But that's also how it stalks its prey. I don't think that we can um, ignore this, considering that Cain, scripturally speaking, is of the wicked one, that he is that seed of the serpent. And so I'm of the opinion that, you know, his wandering, the, the sentence to wander, he more or less tries to tell God, no, I'm not going to do that. Interestingly, later on, there's going to be another gentleman by the name of Nimrod. This is found for us in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, who comes and builds a city. And the very reason that Nimrod builds a city is essentially the same reason that Cain built a city because he didn't want to do what God had instructed them to do. God had instructed the people to, to multiply, if you will, to spread out. 
and fill the earth. Well, Nimrod in Genesis 10 and 11 is compelling the people to come together. And they come together and they build a city called Babylon. So Cain is the one who is resistant, who is rebelling against the commandment and instruction of the Lord. He's the one who, in a fit of rage and jealousy, goes and murders his brother, but he's not remorseful for it. He's not repented of it. He's defiant in his sin. So then, Cain is marked, I believe, so that as we follow his lineage through the Bible and we see what they do and what they build and how they act, then we get a really good idea of what to be on the lookout for in the end of days when it comes to the seed of the serpent. So Cain's trying to hide himself. He's trying to conceal himself. Esater, he says. And I believe, likewise, that those who have the same spirit those who have the same mindset, the same intent to rebel, they try to conceal themselves. They try to hide themselves, to blend in with the environment because they don't really want to stand out necessarily and be considered rebels. They're, they're stalking a prey. They're trying to lure someone into a trap and someone's not going to just walk into a situation where someone's threatening to kill them. Not likely. No. They're more likely to walk into the trap if the, if the stalker, if the one who is going to strike, is trying to put everyone at ease and make everybody think everything's okay. In fact, everything's good. And so they might come across as someone that says, look, you know, I, I have a different opinion than you, but we need to be tolerant of one another. We need to learn to coexist with one another. And you have this different idea of who and what God is and how we should live our lives. And I don't see it the way you see it, but we can coexist with one another. Well, a rebel, ladies and gentlemen, has no intent. He has no intention of coexisting. He's merely fading back into the shadows, blending into the environment until the opportunity arises where he can strike. That's what Cain was, I think, doing or trying to do. We see that's what his descendants do in some form or fashion, and I believe that's what we see the seed of the serpent doing in the end of days. Now, again, Cain and that mindset tries to conceal itself, but the Messiah made it very clear to us that there is nothing hidden that it will not be revealed, but apparently in its time. In other words, if Cain is saying that I'm going to hide myself, you're not going to find me, then what he's trying to do, prophetically speaking, is hide my characteristics, my traits, to um, pose as something that he is not. Remember how the adversary comes, not in a red suit carrying a pitchfork, but he comes posing as an angel of light. He comes posing as something he really isn't. And that, in effect, is to conceal, esater, to hide from anyone what he really is. And why would he do that? To set a trap, to set a snare. And who is it that the adversary, and all those that the adversary has worked through throughout time, has wanted to bring into that snare? It's God's people. And 
predominantly throughout Scripture, called Israel. The adversary wants to destroy Israel. He wants to destroy anybody who believes in God's Word, who embraces God's Word. Because you see, those are those who are His greatest threat. They're the ones that can expose Him, can see Him, bring Him out into the open, so to speak. And when He's brought out into the open, that's when He's vulnerable. And by the way, that's when we have the opportunity to take our heel and put it on his head. As Yeshua said, we would be able to do. He said we, he gives us the authority to trample on scorpions and on serpents. Referring to the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. What I'm trying to say here is that in the beginning, Cain, the rebel, the one who rejects God's word, the one who rejects the good seed and by default embraces devours, internalizes that other seed, the seed of the serpent. He begins to display the characteristics and the traits of the serpent to conceal himself, to hide himself, to blend into the environment with the idea that once he has the opportunity, he's going to strike at God's people, to strike at the righteous seed. The adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy Notice he doesn't start out destroying. He starts out stealing. And how does someone steal? Well, it's under the cover of darkness. It's all by sleight of hand. It's all by distracting you to look away uh, over here and not look at what I'm about to take from you. It's about deception. That's his first step in this process of destroying God's people. But again, Messiah said there is nothing that is hidden, that it will not be revealed. And so if Cain's tried to hide himself, and by that I mean throughout history, and that spirit and that mindset, then the Messiah lets us know that it will be revealed. We just have to look for the mark. We have to look for that identifying mark that God placed upon Cain so that we can see what it is that God is alerting us to in these end of days. We're not done yet, but we're going to pause here. And when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the mark of Cain. So we want you to stay with us. All right. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.